Last Sunday afternoon, I left with my boys to the Steens Mountains in southeast Oregon. You go to Burns, go south about an hour to French Glen, and then you go east a bit, and you go up into the Steens Mountains. It's the most beautiful place on the planet Earth. I'm amazed at how few Oregonians have gone there. To me, it's more impressive than the Grand Canyon. It's just a gorgeous place, and it's got lots of elk and deer, and so we've hunted up there for years and years and years and years. The boys hunted, I fished. We camped right next to Fish Lake, 10-acre lake, and uh, you, you know this, I think, but in case you forgot, I am the world's greatest fisherman. <laughs> and uh, so when I got out my little pontoon boat rowing around the lake, I didn't catch any fish. So my dad, he had this rule, if you don't catch a fish in 30 minutes, change something. So I didn't catch a fish in 30 minutes, so I changed something. And I rode around for another 30 minutes, didn't catch a fish, so I changed something. I don't remember how many 30-minute little things I changed, but pretty soon I caught a fish. And it was a little bit too far between, so I changed a little bit more, fine-tuned it, fine-tuned it. Pretty soon, I mean, I was catching fish just right along. And they were, I've got a picture if you want to see it after the service. The fish is 24 inches long. I caught probably over 50 of them. We ate a couple, the rest I released. And so, if you go up there, here's the, here's the key. There are weeds on the bottom. The fish are in the weeds. But if you're in the weeds, you'll get all hung up. So, I had a woolly bugger, wet fly, and I put a bobber on it. And I kept experimenting with length, and seven feet was the magic length. And I put a little split shot about an inch above the woolly bugger so it would go down, and then I slow trolled probably about a mile an hour, and the fish were in the weeds, and the woolly bugger was just a few inches over it, and I trolled along, and I just, I'd grab it. Man, I caught so many fish. You just, pretty soon, you work at it, and, and you catch a fish. Some other dude came out there in a float tube, and he wasn't catching a fish one. He says, you're catching fish. I said, I am. He said, I haven't had a bite since I've been out here. What works? So I told him. He said, I don't have a bobber. I said, I have three. I'll sell you one for $100. <laughs> Actually, I gave it to him, and I think he did well. I didn't stick around to look. But, uh, and so I, if, if you want to be good at something, you just practice. You find somebody that's good, and you learn from them, and you just get better and better until you're the best. So, you don't care about fishing, most of you. Do you know what is most important? That you become a better person, not a better fisherman. You become more and more like Jesus, and you grow. You become a good person. And you do that by the same way you become a better fisherman. You just work at it. So here's a principle, you know this, but I'll give it to you again. You can't do anything on your own strength. You can't get out of bed this morning without the grace of God. Pastor Mike's been talking about grace. Without the grace of God working, if he were to pull the grace that he has given you out of your life totally, you'd be a pile of dirt on the floor. You wouldn't even exist. You couldn't take a breath. And so you want to get better, you want to become good, you need His power, His grace in you to do that. So what would prompt Him to give it to you? You choosing. You choosing to obey Him. Now all you have to do is take a little step, a baby step, 
in the direction of obeying Him specifically, and He gives you His strength to take the next and the next and the next. That's the way He works. So you want to be specific. So I'm going to give you some uh, specifics. The cool thing about this sermon is it's got 12 standalone points. I can do one, two, 12. I'll just keep track of the clock. And then we may get them all done. We may not. Probably won't. So all these things that you want to conquer, you're born with them. And they're not good. And most people just leave them there because they're born with them and they become a habit and they mess their life up. They mess their marriage up. They mess their kids up. They mess their jobs up. They mess their health up because they don't conquer these bad habits that you were born with that tend to become ingrained in you as a person. So I'm going to start from the top, what I would consider the one that's most important that you get a grip on, that you conquer it, that you eliminate it from your life, and we'll move to second place, third place, all the way to the last one if we get that far. So number one, don't get angry, not even a little bit irritated at nothing, at anybody, ever. Now, every one of my kids were born with an anger problem. They inherited it from their mother. I mean, they didn't, they didn't scream and yell and throw fits. Uh, and you did as well. We're all born with an anger issue. And so I was. I was a dairy farmer for quite a few years. Every dairy farmer I know has an anger problem. You know, you work with those cows and that cow poop all day long, you'd have an anger problem. I got married. They didn't work well. Uh, I would yell, Patty would cry. And you know, so finally one day I decided I need to get over this. And so I started pursuing uh, being anger-free. In fact, one day I told her, every time I say I love you to you, I am making a promise, a commitment to you that I'll not get angry, not even a little bit irritated, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you do it. And if I start, you can hear me, my voice starts getting a little bit... All she has to do is say, I love you, which is sort of like jerking my chain. Just reminding you, husband, you made a commitment. She didn't say, but that's what. And so, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So anger is like the worst thing we do, and people do it all the time, and they justify it and excuse it because, well, after all this happened, that happened. They did this. They did that. You want to get over anger totally, completely in your life. Ephesians 4.26, be angry. Oh, wow, look at that. Yet do not sin. You know what that means? That means feel the emotion of anger. You can't stop it. But don't act angry. Don't speak angry. Be angry, don't sin. Do not, give the, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. You know what the word opportunity means? It means legal jurisdiction. See, God has rules, and one of the rules is you get angry, the sun goes down on your anger, you don't fix it, you don't make up for it. You have just given the devil access to your life. You have said, come on, demons, hang right on me. Stand on my shoulder. You've given legal jurisdiction to the devil and his demons to get right up next to you if you get angry and don't take care of it. Feel the anger. I feel anger like every five minutes. I'm always in a hurry. I've always got things to do. There's always something that happens, somebody that does something. 
Be angry, but don't sin. You don't have to act the way you feel. <clears throat> Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding. He is, he is quick-tempered, exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He rules his own spirit than he who captures a city. Here's a cool one, Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry. Anger resides in the bosom of fools. Anger resides in the bosom of fools. Ephesians 4, 31, let all, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So you take a step, a little step, a baby step in the direction of being obedient to what God's Word says, and He gives you grace. He gives you grace. When you say, I am not going to get angry, not even a little bit irritated at anybody, at anything, no matter what it is, no matter how many times it happens, now you're going to take a while to get there, but make the commitment and then work at it. God will give you His grace, His strength, and it might take a month, it might take a year, it might take two years, but you keep working on this, and pretty soon you become an anger-free person. Their relationships are so much better than the person who struggles with being irritated about stuff all day long. Your parents so much better. Everything in your life goes better if you can get rid of anger. And it's not impossible, you just have to work at it. Just work at it. And as you do, God gives you strength, He gives you grace, and you can conquer it. Second thing, <clears throat> don't be greedy, discontent, or covetous. Uh, that is, don't want a bigger boat. Uh, I have an eight-foot pontoon boat that I row around up at French Club. And then I have a nine-foot pontoon boat that has a pedestal on it and an electric trolling motor on it, a downrigger on it, and a fish finder on it. And then I have a 24-foot boat. I built that one. And then I have a 22-foot pontoon boat, and then I have a drift boat. You're thinking, you're a worldly person. I'm obsessed. I can't, I mean, it's not my fault. I have this obsession, you know? Uh, uh, what's your problem? <laughs> Cars, clothes, houses, money. What is it that you would like a little bit more of? Uh, greed is a really, really bad... In our culture, in our uh, nation... It's called worldliness. It destroys people's faith. It destroys their love for God. <clears throat> Luke twelve fifteen. Jesus is speaking. Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. Not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So it's a pretty serious warning Jesus is giving. Watch out, be careful. Hebrews 13.5, <clears throat> make sure that your character, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. 
That's a fairly strong statement as well. Be sure, be careful. Your character is free from the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So it's a... I was reading the other day about the debt that the average American has with credit cards. Uh, It's like, whoa, why? Well, because they want it. You know, a credit card makes it easy. Just pay a little bit and you can get it now. And pretty soon the debt gets higher and bigger and bigger and pretty soon it's like, how am I ever going to pay this off? And so you get a second credit card and greed, discontent drives that and it destroys your faith. Third thing, don't be rude to people. You know what that is, don't you? So in our culture, that's sort of become accepted as normal. It's like, who can be the rudest? Who can tell the other person off with the uh, most creative words or whatever? Uh, My mom had this little statement. She would say, be nice. Be nice. You know what that means? means be nice. Don't be rude. Don't say words that hurt, that offend. Uh, Be careful how you talk to people. Ephesians 4.29, let no, no, notice the word no. That means zero. Unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now that's a command. Emphatically stated. It's not a good suggestion. It's not something that oh, maybe I'll give it a shot. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That means it makes the other person grow. It builds them up according to the need of the moment that it may give grace. It may give grace to those who hear. Now that uh, is a clear statement in Scripture. Don't say a word that hurts, that offends, that tears down, but only words that build up and give grace to those who hear. Colossians uh, parallel verse, verse chapter uh, 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4, soothing tongue is a tree of life. Perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Uh, It doesn't matter if a waitress brings your steak cold. It doesn't matter if someone doesn't tune your car up just the way that they were supposed to. It doesn't matter if someone cuts you off in traffic. It doesn't matter if somebody says something that's hurtful. The command is zero words come out of your mouth that are hurtful, that are rude, uh, that don't build up and don't edify. Now, you might say, that's impossible. It's not. It wouldn't be in the Bible if it was. 
When God says, let no, zero words come out of your mouth that are unwholesome, he's saying to you, that's a very possible way of living. That's a very possible way of acting. And you look at the passage and you say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to conquer this thing I have in me of being rude and angry and irritated and speaking words that hurt and offend. I'm going to get over that. And you make the statement in your mind and your head to get it solidly conquered in your life, and then you start making the attempt, and God grants you power and strength to be the kind of person he wants you to be and that you want to be. But you can't justify and excuse uh, when you blow it, when you mess up, you own it. Number four, don't grumble about anything ever. So this is the national pastime. It's not football. It's not baseball. The national pastime is grumbling. You ever get in a crowd of people on a bus? I rode Amtrak up to Seattle here a couple of weeks ago. I was going to preach up there, and I, I, I can't drive very far anymore, and nobody, I couldn't find anybody who wanted to drive me, so somebody said, try the Amtrak. I did. Wow, it was cool. It was comfortable. There was a place right behind me where I could buy coffee. But, you know, you're around people, and you listen to conversations. And you know what 99% of the conversations that you hear people talk about is the government, their neighbor, their mother-in-law. And none of it's good, positive. It's fussing, complaining, grumbling about their job, whatever. That's the national pastime. That's what we do. We grumble about life. We grumble about problems. We grumble about just about everything under the sun. Here's a Good suggestion, Philippians 2.14, do all things, all things, notice the word all, without grumbling or disputing. Now, is that a good suggestion? That's a clear command. That's a clear command. So, if you were to grumble about the weather, you were to grumble about your boss, you were to grumble about your, you know, whatever, and I were to say to you, Uh, you shouldn't do that. I wouldn't, but if I did, you wouldn't take that real seriously because you've done it a lot. Everybody around you does it a lot. So even though the Bible clearly says don't do it, we excuse it, we justify it, we don't take it serious, we just keep grumbling. I don't know. I don't know if I've met too many people who say, I have a goal this year not to grumble about anything. Never, ever. Not to fuss or whine about any detail of my life. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way. You know, people are attracted to God by our life, the way we live. And there is nothing that is more attractive than a person who is happy and doesn't fuss about anything ever. So is that possible? Sure it is. It wouldn't be there. God would never tell us to do something that we can't do. He gives us the strength and the grace to do it if we pursue it. So you ask yourself the question, do I have an anger problem? Yeah, okay, let's get that one. Do I have a not-be-content problem, greedy, wanting more problem? Yeah, okay, let's get a hold of that one. Uh, do I have a problem telling people off? If they're mean to me, I'm mean back. If they're rude to me, I'm rude back. Uh, okay, let's get a hold of that one. Do, do I have a 
complaining problem where I fuss and whine about the weather or my boss or whatever, well, let's conquer that one. Don't let those things stay in your life. Uh, the Word of God is clear. And when you make the effort, when you take the step, even a little one, in the direction of obedience, God gives you His strength and His power and His grace to conquer it. But you can't justify, you can't excuse, you can't ignore. You've got to say, I don't want this in me any longer. And you conquer it. Number five, bitterness. You know what that is? That's where somebody sins against you, violates your right, and you don't forgive. And you don't forgive. Mike uh, preached last night, and uh, I listened to the sermon. It was great, and he preached this morning. I think he got pretty well done. And then this service, you're stuck with me, but uh, it was on uh, the power of grace to cleanse. And somebody was chatting with me in the foyer last night, and they said, you know, We've got a problem in our extended family. We don't get along, and it's because of something that happened 20 years ago. I said, that's pretty common. And uh, forgiving. Forgiving anybody of anything, no matter how bad it is. I've told you this story before, but it's a good one. I'll tell it to you again in case you forgot it or I didn't. you weren't here when I told it. I went to England to speak. Uh, to do a seminar on prayer because they were going to have a big uh, revival in northern England and they wanted me to come talk on prayer. And so I was. And one of my series I did here years ago was called The Dirty Dozen. It's 12 Reasons Why God Doesn't Answer Your Prayers. 12 Reasons Why God Doesn't Even Listen to Your Prayers. 12 Reasons Why Your Prayers Are an Abomination to Him. Now, if you want to have some influence with God, you've got to get rid of those. And so one of them is Bitterness. If you don't forgive others, then God won't listen to your prayers. He, he does not just not answer. He doesn't even listen to them. Well, I got to that point, and this, little, this young, uh, probably 18-year-old girl came up, got out from where she was, and marched up the aisle, and she got within an inch of my nose. And I could tell that I was not her favorite preacher. Uh, she had this look about her that she was about ready to, to do bodily harm. And she began to tell me this story loud enough for everybody in the church to hear about how she had been abused in satanic ritual uh, services where she was sexually abused by multiple uh, individuals as part of their satanic uh, worship service. Her father was the one that was the key culprit in the thing. She became pregnant from that, and they offered the baby up as a sacrifice in their satanic ritual. They literally killed the baby as part of this worship. Now, her dad at the time was in prison, but she says to me, you expect me to forgive my father for what he did to me? I said, I don't expect you to forgive anybody of anything. I mean, you know, if I were you, I'd probably kill him. I'm not telling you what I think. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And God says, I have forgiven you of everything, and I expect that you will forgive anybody of anything, no matter how bad it is. And I suggested, you know, you're refusing to forgive your father doesn't cause him any damage. It doesn't cause him any harm. It doesn't make him pay any price. The only person that's paying a price is you for choosing not to forgive. 
Bitterness poisons us from the inside out. Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Come short of the grace of God. That root, no root of bitterness. That means even a little bit. Spring up, cause trouble. By it many be defiled. Matthew 6, 14, If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. That's about as black and white as it comes. You don't forgive, God doesn't forgive. You can't afford for God not to forgive your sins. The result in your life is serious if he doesn't forgive you of the sins you commit. The only time you can uh, is if you don't sin. I don't know of anybody that I know has got there yet. You need to have God to forgive you, to cleanse you of your sins every day. And if you don't forgive others, he doesn't forgive you. It's as simple as that. So it's a pretty easy thing to think right now in your head. Are there people in my life that have done things to me, that have hurt me, that have offended me, that have violated my rights that I am holding on to? Now, sometimes somebody will say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Yeah, you can. You just have to work at it a bit. So you say, Lord, I choose to forgive Susie, because you have forgiven me. And then five minutes later, pops up in your head. Well, Lord, I choose to forgive Susie because you have forgiven me. Six minutes later, it pops into your head. Lord, I choose to forgive Susie because you've forgiven me. Seven minutes later, it pops into your head. How long will it take before you get it out? It might take a while, but pretty soon it'll be gone. It'll be gone, and then you're free. You're free, you're healthy, and there's so much joy in the, in the soul of a person who's free, totally free of bitterness in their life. It just pops into your head, you deal with it. Pops into your head, you deal with it. It's a simple little prayer. Lord, I choose, I choose to forgive because you have forgiven me. And you do that, and it doesn't take that long before it's gone before it's gone. But you leave it there, and it destroys you from the inside out. It poisons your soul. Number six, don't let yourself drift away from God. It is an easy, easy, easy thing. You heard the word prodigal? That's somebody that once had a relationship but no longer does. And it starts with a little easy, I mean, just a little bit. Just drift, just a little bit, just a little bit. And pretty soon you're so far away, you don't even care. And you don't know how to get back even if you wanted to. Hebrews 2.1, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, what we've learned. Otherwise we'll drift away from it. Hebrews 3.12, Take care. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. It happens to everybody if they're not careful. Hebrews 5.11, concerning him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. You become dull of hearing. That is, you've drifted away. You don't even understand what the Bible teaches. 2 Corinthians 11.3, <clears throat> I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. 
don't, don't let that happen. That's six, that's halfway, that's good. We'll call her good right there. If you want to know the other six, I think you can get it on our website. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I'm pretty sure uh, that it's on there because I preached this same sermon at a men's breakfast about a year and a half ago. Some of you guys were thinking, I heard that before. Uh, that's where it was. And so you can get the, the rest of them if you'd like and then the whole thing. So it's not rocket science. Uh, I mean, you know anger is not good. You know bitterness isn't good. You know grumbling isn't good. You know that, but it's what everybody does. And you were born with it. So it's so easy to ignore it, to excuse it, to pretend like it's no big deal and make no effort to get over it. And so start at the top. Don't work on multiple things. Start at the top. Work on one of them. Get that one under control. Go to number two. Go to number three. Go to number four. And just get better. Grow. Become a holy, righteous person that's like Jesus. We're created for that. We have the power to do it. We have to choose. We have to choose. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You saved us. You sent Jesus to die for us. You've forgiven us of everything. We're adopted into your family. And though, Lord, we could just tread water, we could just, just do what we've always done, you've created in us this will, this desire, this hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to grow. We do. Sometimes we just kind of lose hope that it's possible. But we can. We just have to choose and press on. And when we do, you grant us the power and the strength to make it happen. Help us to, to become like you, Lord Jesus, in every way. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.